0: So we're reading from Psalm 51 this morning, and then Zoe will come up and open this up a little bit more. So Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. I'm going to invite Zoe to come up and expand on this now as we do so. I'm just going to pray for her. Gracious Father, thank you so much for Zoe and thank you for her preparation this week. Father, we pray now that you would speak through her, that you would make it clear to us what it is you want us to hear. But with that also, Help us to leave here renewed and help us to leave here equipped, ready to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Um, It's great. We're going to look at Psalm 51, those familiar words together this morning. And I'm excited for us to do so and to hear what God is going to say through that this morning. For those of you who hadn't quite realised, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled The Comeback, where God makes a way where all hope seems lost. The Comeback. I feel like we need kind of a movie jingle to introduce that, for that to have the momentous effect that it should. But I wonder this morning who amongst us, myself included, needs to hear that, needs to hear about The Comeback as we're emerging And it feels like that, doesn't it? We're tentatively emerging. We can see the signs of spring amongst us from what has been such a difficult season. It's been so hard, it's been exhausting. For those of you with us yesterday at Inspiring Women, we thought about that, about leaning in, holding on and emerging and looking up for all that God has for us. But we believe that God is making a way And my prayer is this morning, as we look at Psalm 51 together, that God would just restore and renew us using that kind of famous prayer that David prayed. So, so far, Luke has unpacked three comebacks for us as we've looked at the dramatic life and story of Jacob, of Joseph, and of Job. But today, as we look at the life of David together, my prayer is that we would all see and realize that we are in need of a comeback. We are all in desperate need of Jesus, because when we look at the life of David, when we study it together, we realize how easy it is for each and every one of us to go astray. With every comeback, there's quite simply a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the life of David and ask the question, where did it all go wrong? What was the moment that brought him to his knees? And how did he leave after having an encounter restored and renewed? And we're going to watch that journey develop and unfold. And it's kind of there all over scripture for us, isn't it? It's the gospel. We have all gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God and then that's that conscious moment, that decision we all have to make. It's called repentance. We can choose to turn away, from our son, uh, turn away from our sin and turn back to God. And then after that, we can walk and work out this idea of encounter and freedom that follows after meeting the father. We see it in the parable of the lost son, don't we? The son chooses to go off to squander his father's inheritance, to spend the money, and realises there in the middle, in the company of the pigs, that he's messed up. And then he goes back to the father who's willing to embrace him. There is so much we could look at when we study the life of David. That could be a sermon series in itself. Today, we're going to camp out in Psalm 51 that Steve has helpfully read for us because I think this encapsulates the comeback mightily. At the beginning of the psalm, we see David cry out, have mercy on me, O God. He cries out and he calls on God's unfailing love. He calls on his great compassion. And by the end of the psalm, we see how his joy is restored. And he, we kind of see his praise on his lips, declaring God's faithfulness once more. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to start by asking the question, what was David's pitfall so that we can learn from it? We're going to think together about the imagery of repentance that we see in the psalm. And then we're going to end, we're going to pray that God would restore to us the joy that David is talking about. So David, who is he? He's a shepherd, he's a poet, he's a psalmist. He's the giant killer that we learn about in Sunday school. He's an ancestor of Jesus, and in short, he's one of the greatest men that we read about in the Old Testament. He's a man after God's own heart. But alongside that list of traits that we learn, we know that David is a betrayer, a liar, a murderer, and an adulterer. There's a list to aspire to, and then if we're we're honest and we realise with ourselves this morning, that second list is probably more true of who we are. Have I committed murder? No, you'll be relieved to know. Have I committed adultery? Again, no, that's probably a scandal that Luke's not going to want to have. But am I like David? Yes. Does my heart have a tendency to wander off? Yes. We all desire things we shouldn't. And whatever the cost, sometimes we go after them. And if anyone stands in our way, we metaphorically kill. We too are guilty. We read in the New Testament that Jesus upgrades the law, and he states in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, that if anyone looks at women lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And a few verses before we read that if anyone is angry with a brother or a sister, then they will be subject to judgment, that's kind of murder of the heart. So if we let Jesus define sin this morning, then we are just like David. Here we see for David a wandering heart that led him astray. That was his downfall. So I asked the question this morning, where is our hearts today? What's our condition of our, ha- of our hearts like? And where are they wandering? Because here I'm a bit of ashamed to share this story, really, because it reveals something about my heart, about where... Um, The place I've been in, my wrong attitude over the last few months. Each morning I try and start my day by reading my Bible and I use the Lectio 365 365 app where I kind of use that to pray and meditate on some scripture. And a few months ago, the app brought out um, an evening thought. So you read it before you go to bed in the evening. And I'm not so disciplined at this, but I try. And when you get to the particular part in this app, you pray, uh, and you, call, you kind of reconsider your day, and it's a prayer of confession and holiness. And the words are very similar to this. Father God, would you remind me today, now, the ways of which I've sinned, in thought, in word, or in deed, and I take a moment to confess my sin before you now. And honestly, I sat there one evening after I prayed this prayer, and I sat there and I thought, done nothing wrong today. And it was almost as if in God's humour, there was like, bam, hello Zoe, pride. Your heart is full of pride, because sometimes we can find ourselves thinking, I'm doing okay. I've not messed up as badly as this person has, or as badly as we read in the scriptures. But God in his grace goes, come on Zoe. And honestly, over the next few nights, as I continue to use and meditate and pray through this app, It's like this list of confession got longer and longer and longer each night. And God was revealing to me areas where my attitude, my heart wasn't right before him. And it brings me to a place of going, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm in great need of you. And I hear the words of that song, that hymn we often sing, how deep the Father's love for us. It was my sin that held him there. And every time I sing that, that gets me. It was my sin that held him there. And we're told in the context of Psalm 51 that Steve's read for us this morning, that David wrote this psalm after the prophet Nathan came to him, after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I want us to remind ourselves that's the starting point. And then we'll think about what David's comeback was through this prayer. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read that God used Nathan, a prophet, to confront David for what he had done. Now, this sermon is probably, and it is often referred to as one of the most dramatic, powerful sermons ever preached, because it's referencing this dramatic reveal, the moment where Nathan sets David up, as it were, to realise that it's him that he's talking about. We've spoken about parables before together. That's the punchline when David realises it's him. And Nathan sets the scene by telling David about a rich man who has everything, but he chose to exploit the poor man's lamb to prepare it, to use it for a feast for a traveller. And scripture tells us that David is burned with anger and he says this man deserves to die. And then Nathan goes... This man is you. And you can see the Lord dialoguing with David through Nathan the prophet, and, said, and he said, I gave you everything, but you took from something that was not yours. And then if you read further in the chapter, it's hard for us to swallow because we read that God takes away David's son, but spares David his life. And in verse 13, David declares to Nathan in the presence of others, I have sinned against you, Lord. I have sinned against you, Lord. This week, for those of you that know, I've kind of started my training with Bristol Baptist College, and on Wednesday we were gathered together for a quiet day where all the ministerial students met together for the first time from like anyone in the three to four year program. And you get together, you spend some time in quiet. For those of you who know me well, that was quite hard. And we also marked the start of the year with a covenant community, like covenant service, where we kind of express in front of one another that we will be an intentional community for the year that is ahead of us. And every year, there's always an address from the principal. And if you chat to any of the students in the years gone by, Luke who trained there, any of the students will tell you that the warning from the principal or the address that he gives is always the same. He says he starts this kind of Uh, this is the way he chooses to start and warn that year's students because the pitfalls, whether you're training to be in ministry or whether you're just intentionally trying to walk a, a walk with Jesus, they're the same. And he said to us, whatever you do, for goodness sake, don't trip up when it comes to power, sex or money. You are not immune. And here we see that David is not immune. Everything was his. He was the king over the kingdom He had wealth, he had power. And you see the Lord dialoguing through Nathan, the voice, to David, if that makes sense. And the Lord says, I gave you everything. And he even says, if this was too little for you, David, then I would have given you more. But you took something that wasn't yours. Now, we know quite a lot about David's life. He wasn't a man who suffered from poor self-control. We previously see how David, when faced with kind of the force of King Saul's persecution on his life, the personal attacks, he had immense self-control and he displayed honourable behaviour. But here we see it kind of all go wrong. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see how he can't resist Bathsheba's beauty, and his behavior through this incident was just appalling. And in an attempt to cover up her pregnancy and the actions, we kind of get contrasted with another character of Uriah, his integrity towards those that he is in battle with. And we see David, we see the whole thing escalate and David commit murder. And I asked the question, do you think David, the king of the kingdom, got up one morning and said, today I'm going to commit murder? No, you kind of see it. You see how it starts. It starts with a lustful thought, and it escalated, and it escalated, and it escalated. And we see at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11 how hard David's heart had become, how hard he had become to his actions. He told his army not to mourn the loss of Uriah and almost said, it's inevitable. This is what happens in war. Sometimes you're going to take a casualty along the way. But no, David was the one who orchestrated his death, who set the whole thing up. And again, this is not like his character. A few chapters before, we see him grieve so deeply for Saul, the man who tried to take his life. Today, we're presented with this escalation of sin that can get out of hands. And we read kind of psychologically how David is trying to justify himself and his actions to escape the inescapable guilt that he was in. So it's with this lens that we learn and read David's cry in Psalm 51 this morning. And this psalm, as I've said already, reveals David's comeback where we see his absolute confidence in God's forgiveness And we also see his complete honesty before God about the mess that he found himself in, the horror of his own sin. I want to suggest this morning that kind of step number one in terms of a comeback is us taking that first step of recognising our own sin, recognising and being responsible for our own actions. And that's what we can commend David for, Because he says, I know my transgressions, I know my wrongdoing, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned and done evil in your sight. And I think that's such a strange thing to say, because you read it and you go, it's not just God that you sinned, so many people were hurt. Uriah died, his wife was widowed, sin hurts people. I don't need to have to tell you that, but here David is acknowledging what Tim Keller calls cosmic treason. When we sin, we are consciously saying that we are overthrowing the rule of the one whom we own everything. In other words, we disregard God and we worship ourselves. We can commend David for the realisation in this psalm that he was the one to blame. Because how often do we see people playing the blame game? We see it in politics. We see it in our own family lives. We see it in the life of the church. We're quick to blame others, to let ourselves off the hook. We see it in scripture. Adam shifts the blame to Eve. She was the one who made me do it. But here we see David cannot blame anyone else but himself, and that leads him to repent. And here's the middle that I was referring to, that kind of point of repentance that he calls out to God how he wants to be cleansed. And I want us to spend a moment thinking about the images that this psalm portrays about forgiveness. David cries out to God to blot out his transgressions. We kind of understand this to mean to literally wipe out writing from a book that was previously there. And it's like David is asking God to use That's how I see it in my head. I don't know about you, if you went through a stage, I certainly did, where I made my mum buy me kind of litres of Tipex when I started secondary school as I transitioned from using a pencil to a pen and it would get messy. I could still see the writing underneath. I blot all over it and it would dry and it would create this kind of white, gluey mess. But David is asking God to blot out his transgressions. And this tells us something about sin, how sin creates a record A debt or an offence is kind of like a justice call for a punishment. And David declared himself, didn't he, that the rich man that was exploiting the poor man should have been put to death. That should have been his punishment. So how does God blot out David's sin without striking him dead? David asked God to wash away his inequity to cleanse him from his sin. David had this awareness within him that there was a stain on his life that nothing under heaven could remove. And that's what I find incredible. David asked God to cleanse him with hyssop and declares that if God does, he will be clean. He'd be whiter than snow. Again, for me, that provokes an image. I can picture Snow that's just fallen for the first time, how beautifully white it is. It takes me back to my farming days with the family and how quickly white snow would become so spoiled if you did anything in it. Now, we know hyssop to be a spindly plant that had herbal properties that doubled as a paintbrush in the days of Passover. So they'd use it to paint blood on the doorposts for their lives to be spared. So here David asks God, do you have hyssop? Do you have a way of making us internally clean? He's saying, God, do you have a lamb to use? Do you have bloodshed to spare for us? And of course, we know the answer to be yes. This foreshadows Jesus to come. How can we pray this psalm today with such confidence the same confidence as David. How can we plea with God for him to wash us whiter than snow? We know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that it's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. How can our record of wrong be blotted out? It's through Jesus. And how can our life be spared? It's through what Jesus has done on the cross for us. David goes on to plea with God for an inner transformation, for God to do a deep work within him. And I don't know much about medicine, but I don't think you can get a bigger job than heart surgery. And here, this is what David is pleading for God with. In verse 10, we read, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And out of this gloom of utter hopelessness, Rises within David a plea for God to create in him a pure heart and renew a right spirit within him. And that's, this Hebrew word, reserved the word "create," can only be used for a divine function. It has to be operated by God. And this was a task that only God could do. David couldn't create within him a new heart. He knew his heart was what got him there in the first place. Our English language just doesn't do it justice. David doesn't ask for a work of transformation to to take place within him because he knows by himself he can never fashion up such a change. It literally translates as create for me, O God, a pure heart. And this doubled with the prayer, renew a steadfast spirit within me, is almost as if David is praying to God that he take him back. He take him back to his youth, to where his relationship with God was right before. And I wonder, as I was kind of thinking and praying in preparation this week, whether that's any of ourselves today. If we're honest, our prayer is, take me back, Lord, to where it all began. Take me back to a day when I walked more intimately with you than I do now. Maybe take me back to before this pandemic or take me back to a day where there wasn't so much trauma or pain in my life. And here today we have the same invitation as David to plea with God, to pray with God that he would renew and restore his spirit within you. David continues to plead with God, don't cast me away from your presence. He's tasted and seen God's presence in his life, and he doesn't want to live without it. We know that David was anointed and appointed, and we know that David had seen in his life how Saul was rejected by God, and he didn't want that for himself. And then David prays, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And here's where I want us to land today and pray that God would do the same for us, that he'd restore us. He'd restore his joy within us. Because here's the comeback. David leaves with no guilt God wants to be close to him, he wants wants to be close to us to experience his fullness, his presence, his joy, his abundant life. At the end of the psalm, we're left with the familiar image of David again, of him kind of dancing undignified before the Lord. We don't get the image that he is shamed by his wrongdoings. We don't get the image of him kind of hanging in guilt Yes, David still had earthly consequences to face for his sin, for his action. But his joy of his relationship with God was restored once more. So this morning for us, how can we apply this in our lives? What can we take great comfort in? No matter how much mess you've made or how much mess I've made, it can be repaired And no matter how deeply broken you might feel this morning, you can be made whole because of Jesus. So, what do I want us to hear this morning? What do I want us to take away? What do I want us to spend some time meditating on now? I have a few questions for us. The first is this What needs to be confessed in your life? Where is your heart today? Where can you look back and see it wandering? Do you need to hear a warning? Who is your Nathan in your life that's calling out behaviour in your life? Or who of us needs to experience God's restoration? That might be that we need to see relationships restored again with one another at church, within family, or maybe it's your relationship with God that needs to be restored. Some of us might just feel really lost and you can't even imagine how God would restore how things are for you at the moment. But I want you to know again this morning that our God is a God of restoration. Who needs to experience joy again this morning? Who feels battered by the season that we've been in? And once again, you need to experience the joy of the Lord as your strength to keep going. If that's you this morning, then i love to pray for you. And I feel there may be some of us too who wants to pray that same prayer as David, take me back, Lord, to a time and a season when I walked more intimately with you before because I wanna be there again. How do we experience a comeback? We simply come back to Jesus. We thank him for his blood that washes us whiter than snow. We confess again our great need of him, our sin before others, and ask him to restore our relationship with us. I'd love to pray for us by reading out some of that psalm again, but I'm going to ask the band to come back up before I pray. And in a minute, we're going to sing um, what can wash away our our sin, nothing, nothing. By the blood of Jesus. But I'd love to pray using some of these verses that this would be our prayer and our cry today. Create in me, O God, a pure heart. Create for me, Lord, a pure heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me, Take us back, Lord, to a day when we walked more intimately with you. Do not cast me from your presence. Lord Jesus, we want to experience your presence anew and afresh again this morning. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, we want to walk in step with you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord Jesus, would you let your joy from your spirit fill this place and fill our lives again this morning? Would you grant within us a willing spirit to sustain us? For those of us that are weary, Lord, would you give us your strength again to come back to you and to keep on keeping on? If you're in the building today, do you want to stand with us as we kind of respond? And we're going to sing, what can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then later, if it's right, we might uh, pray for us to experience God's joy. But Father, we invite your spirit, create in us and for us a pure, pure heart. Restore to us the joy of your salvation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.